0: Welcome to Truth Triumphant Radio. I'm your host, Cody Mori, and today, of course, we want to continue our discussion on Ellen White, get into some of the tests of the Prophet, but also we wanted to talk about some of the things that's going on uh, right now uh, in the, well, the political realm, current events realm. Um, It looks like things are getting bleaker sometimes. there's more talks about this whole issue with the great, uh, great Reset. Of course, mandatory vaccinations is something that is possibly coming down the pike. Uh, and, you know, I, I and me, and, me and Pastor Hughes, we did something on that recently. You can check that out on the YouTube channel, Truth Triumphant Ministries. Um, it's a pressing issues called Should I Get a Vaccine? and basically what we try to do is we try to be as balanced as possible and and talk about you know both sides of the issue for me it's a very personal decision um so we don't want to be fanatical i know some people really want us to be fanatical Uh, we get a lot of pressure i i don't know if a lot of you understand but um we get a lot of pressure from people sometimes to to push things really too far um what i will say about vaccines is i will say this uh, a lot of times, they're, they're made with animal DNA, um, human DNA, uh, baby DNA, and the fact that you cannot sue them legally since 1986, and I believe it went into effect in 1988, uh, but that law that was passed, it was uh, U.S. Code Title 42, um, subsection 300-22A, where you can't, you literally, they have political immunity, you cannot sue them. Um, and the people that are coming out with the vaccine and the fact that the coronavirus is being used to destroy uh, the small businesses is being used to bring about uh, Rome's ultimate ideal here. And to a greater or lesser extent for the people who, who are pro-Trump, you gotta understand that he's, he's played into this at least uh, in a minor role the only thing you can only claim two things about him: either he is he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do, or uh, he's extremely ignorant of what's actually going on with the coronavirus. So th- those are those are really your two options. And um, you know, I've already stated pretty clearly where I stand on it. And and uh, the same thing with the vaccine issue. For me, it's a no. I don't care if I lose my job. Um, I, I'm you're not gonna force me to to take a vaccine unless you literally hold me down and, and force me to take a vaccine so I pray that that doesn't happen um, but that's that settles the issue for me personally I'm, I'm not sure about the rest of you guys but you got to keep in mind remember revelation it doesn't really talk specifically about vaccines it does mention, Sorceries, which the word uh, "sorcery" in the Greek is translated to pharmakia, so you could you could see something going on there. Perhaps you know that's more of a food for thought sort of thing rather than a clear and present doctrine that you can prove. However, however, I know because I know prophecy that the final issue, the final test, the final salvational thing, is going to be about God's law, and it's not going to be about um, a vaccine. So keeping that in mind, um, I think it's important for us to be balanced. As I've said, for me, it's a no, and I've given my reasons for that. And there's a lot more reasons I could give a lot more. I just don't want this episode to be encumbered with that. But I also want to talk about some of the revival movements that are going on in the United States right now. And I want to play you guys a clip from, um, actually a radio talk program an evangelical talk program called wall builders live with david barton he's the uh american constitutional sort of christian historian and many times he doesn't say anything uh outright wrong however sometimes he refers to other people and some of the things they have to say um is is somewhat questionable so There's some revival movements going on and this this is important for us to remember in in the scope of prophecy and in the scope of prophets because a true prophet will be based upon the Bible. It will be based upon intellectual understanding and not an emotional feeling. Also, I want you to keep in mind when you're listening to this clip that how God actually operates. Do we tell God when we're going to prophesy, or does God tell his servants when they're going to prophesy? Of course, if you read any part of Scripture, even, even when it came to um, Balaam, for instance, somebody who who wanted to do his own thing, he still was not allowed to just go and prophesy on his own. I think that's a perfect example because, I mean, if you look at other prophets, there's other prophets throughout the Bible. They don't speak until they're told to speak. But Balaam specifically, he did not want to do God's will. He did not want to do God's will, but he still was compelled to only prophesy when he was told. And the Bible uh, makes this very, very clear where it says Amos, Chapter three, verse seven. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but He revealeth His secret unto His servants, the prophets. So, the prophets are His servants, uh, not the other way around. They don't tell God when they're going to prophesy; God tells them when and where they're going to go to prophesy. I mean, that's sort of common sense. But when you when you hear the clip, you're going to understand what I'm what I'm talking about. And just keep in mind, keep in mind, something very dangerous. No matter how good something sounds, God does not tell us to judge things based on the way it sounds or the words that are spoken. But we're supposed to judge by the fruits. And we're supposed to have an intellectual faith, a strong relationship with God, not an emotion-based one. So keep all that in mind as you hear this clip. This is from Sean Foyt. He's starting a religious revival movement um or maybe he's not starting one he's just part of one but um similar to the jesus people movement back uh decades and decades ago i believe in the 1960s so here's the clip
1: it's the season to be a little weird it's the season to do stuff different it's the season to risk and so i said okay we're gonna gather people on the golden gate bridge tomorrow night. This is 24 hours notice. I don't know if anyone's going to come, but we're going to drive down three and a half hours to the Golden Gate Bridge, and we're going to gather worshipers, and we're going to gather in the center of the bridge, and we're going to prophesy over California. Called some pastors that I knew that were, you know, courageous enough to join me, and we had one little battery-powered speaker. We gathered 200 people on this on the south end of the bridge and 200 on the north end of the bridge. and. We marched to the middle of the bridge, and we gathered there in the very middle, and we put that battery-powered speaker down, and I got my guitar out, and it's out of tune, and you can't hear anything, but no one cares. We just started to worship, and the presence of God dropped so hard. And what was crazy, you know, the police showed up because they saw this massive gathering. Then they found out we were worshiping, And, and by the way, the key word is just say worship protest protesting the heavens to come to the earth. And the, the cops were like, wow, that sounds great. They were like, well, we'll block off one whole lane of the Golden Gate Bridge. And, and I said, "I said, well, why are you doing that? And the cop looks at me and goes, you know, this is San Francisco. I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, we don't want anyone to throw stuff at you or do anything. Like... He's like, how long are you going to be? Oh, we'll probably be an hour, two hours. He's like, all right, we'll be here. So they blocked the bridge. We worship. And we just start declaring crazy things, right? And we just start declaring revival in America. We start declaring, you know, that, that, that God has opened the western gate of America to a move of revival. And, and, and here we are, it's this all kind of, you know, pastors, African-American pastors, Asian pastors, Hispanic pastors. It was the body of Christ. We're declaring, we're prophesying, we're getting fired up. And then I would make this statement, I'm like, there's a new Jesus people movement coming to America. The next day we show up in Huntington Beach, California with some friends of ours. A thousand people show up on the beach to worship. We have one battery powered speaker. People start running to Jesus. Right? We're baptizing hundreds in the Pacific Ocean. Then I was like, what is happening? Then we go to San Diego, 5,000 people show up on the beach in San Diego. God's moving. I'm watching people filled with demonic oppression go down in the water and come out with peace and breakthrough. I get home from that trip, and my pastor, Bill Johnson, says, hey, I have something for you. I want to give you something. I said, "All right." So he said, come over to my house. I came over. He has the 1972 original Life magazine with the Jesus People movement from Dallas, Texas. It was the moment that America realized that there was a movement. Billy Graham showed up in Dallas, Texas and brought validation to this movement. And, and so, and I just remember reading through, looking through the pages. I was just weeping, reading the stories. 80,000, 90,000 people gathered in this, in this stadium. Hippies that were strung out on acid. And I, and I said, all right. And so I went into my room and I got this guitar, which Ricky Skaggs got for me. 1963 Gibson. Literally from the Jesus People Movement. This thing, when I first got it, it smelled like a hippie. And I got this guitar, and we started traveling across America, and we started to focus in on the cities where violence and unrest and rioting was taking place, places people thought were hopeless. We went into Portland, the police said, don't come into Portland. We can't protect everybody. The people are being knifed. The, the police are calling me. The, the heads of the police, please don't come. And I said, man, the church is coming. I'm sorry, but the church is coming. Almost 6,000 people show up in downtown Portland. Racial reconciliation, healing, breakthrough, and then all of a sudden we're asking people to get saved. We're just preaching this simple gospel, and people are running to the altar. Like running in this park, in the grass, weeping, sobbing, and then we say, who wants to get baptized? Oh, there's a river right over there. Hundreds of people crest the hill into the river, which is ice cold. I think we baptized hundreds of people that night, and then we went up to Seattle because Seattle looked pretty rough. So, like, let's go into CHOP. These pastors were calling me, don't go into CHOP, man, it's crazy there. It's dark. It's it's hard. There's no police presence there. There's Antifa." And I said, exactly! (laughs) 2,000 Christians showed up in CHOP. And yes, Antifa was there, and yes, Satanists were there, and yes, protesters were there. But when a church shows up with thousands... They tried to kill our generator. They tried to break our equipment. They tried everything. You know, and at one point I'm standing up there leading worship, and it's like David and Saul, you know, it's like David knew as a worship leader when to keep his eyes open. And thankfully when Saul flung the spear, David's eyes were open and he dodged it in the middle of worship, you know. And we had bodyguards around us, but the church kept worshiping. The church kept worshiping. And that night we led a Satanist to Jesus. We led protesters to Jesus. We baptize people in chop. And then we gain this courage. Man, if we go into Portland and the church shows up in Seattle, we can go anywhere. And so here we are, 42 cities later. We have a date on October 25th, Washington, D.C. We had no idea that every other permit would be canceled that weekend. We had no idea that the National Park Service would give us the mall. We had no idea that it would be in the middle of the nomination of this Supreme Court Justice. I've prayed since I was 17 with Lou on the mall. God end abortion and send revival in America. 17 years old, I prayed that prayer. 17, I prayed it. I sobbed. I prayed. I remember. I had the life band. I prayed. And then years after years, it just got so dark and hopeless. And I lost hope in that prayer. And just four days ago, we gathered 3,000 people in Dallas, Texas, and we marched across the bridge to the steps where Roe v. Wade originated. We blocked the the whole street up, and we got on our knees, and we repented, and we said, this is the season where the death decree is going to be reversed. And I have more faith in my heart that God's gonna do it. It's all lining up for such a time as this enemy tried to silence the church, tried to release this demonic plague. And the Lord says, oh, I got something coming. I'm going to provoke the church with courage and boldness. I'm telling you, people in every city in America are running to Jesus. It is not a self-help gospel. It is not a convenient gospel. It is a fight through the crowd, like in Fort Worth, Texas, fighting through the crowd of 7,000 people to run to the front. We, I'm not here to say a revival is coming. We are in the middle of one. What we're seeing in America, I've never seen in my life. And I want to pray over you tonight that God would fill you with such courage and expectation in the midst of this election, in the midst of the craziness, in the midst of the anxiety that God is writing a different story. He has his own narrative. And I feel like tonight he wants to plug us into his narrative to see things from his perspective. I've seen it. I've seen it in Minneapolis. We worshiped right on the corner where George Floyd died. where the worst riding. I've seen it in Kenosha, Wisconsin, where they burn entire car dealerships. America is ripe for revival. There is not a governor, there is not a senator, there is not a, a mayor that can hold back the flood of worship and revival that is coming. The greater the resistance, the greater the breakthrough.
0: Wow, so there you have it, folks.
1: There is,
0: America is ripe for revival and we're in the middle of a revival movement. Things that this man, this pastor, and if you look him up uh, yourself, you could see that he's pretty close to a hippie himself. I mean, if you couldn't tell that in the actual clip, the way he spoke, but he said that America is ripe for revival and that he's never seen it like this before. But remember, all these people that they're talking about that are just running across the field and running as fast as they can, dropping to their knees, tears in their eyes, and everything—that's all fine and great. Um, but do people know what they're being baptized into? Do they? Are they asking for? Yes, I mean, there's, there's, everybody has uh, different starting points. We all know that. However, should our religious um, relationship with God be one that's based on emotion if it is it will fail because for those of you who don't know love is a choice it's a choice god god chooses to love us we, we don't deserve his love he chooses to love us and anybody who's been in any type of relationship knows that you have to choose to love the other person because they're not always lovable Okay, it's a, the emotion and the euphoria in the beginning. Um, it gains, a, it it gives way later on to something which is actually much much superior, which is a, a truly an understanding um, of the other individual and a, an appreciation of them, flaws uh, and the good parts. So there's there's a big difference now many marriages are failing nowadays because people just base it off of emotion. The world is ripe for this right now. Emotion-based thinking. And on the left, they're basically imploding. I mean, they are I think it's just it, it's going crazy over there. There's uh, a headline about a Chinese Communist Party operative named Christine Fang, who is sleeping with Eric Swalwell. Things like that that's going on. And he's blaming Trump for it. Imagine that. And just a lot of interesting stuff. They're turning on each other. They're turning on Diane Feinstein. And there's just a lot of interesting stuff going on, folks. So we'll just have to see how all of this plays out. There's People talking about secession, there's people talking about civil war, there's people talking about all sorts of things. So it's gonna be interesting to see how things play out. We'll just have to keep everything in prayer, keep our leaders in prayer, and um ask God ask for God's protection. But I would seriously I would seriously tell people who are uh listening to prophecy, who are interested in prophecy, that they would begin to loosen themselves from the things of this earth because even people who are secular are are Understanding, I was speaking with someone today specifically about this. Even secular people believe that basically all bets are off now at this point, with uh, as far as possessions, as far as career goals, things like that. What's going to happen in the future? We really don't know. I know a lot of people are excited to get out of 2020, hoping 2021 will be some type of turnaround, but it seems like the country has sort of crossed the in my opinion it seems like the country has sort of crossed the line that it's not going to it's not going to turn back i mean there's even talks about another country like say china or russia or something possibly invading us in the future so there's there's all sorts of voices there's all sorts of voices and not, it's all speculation folks it's all speculation because we don't know exactly how these things unfold. We don't know what's going to happen. So we can only just go day by day. Now, with that said, I want to get into the tests of a true prophet. And I want to start by reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 again. I read this last week. It says, "...and he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers." for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, a true prophet will perfect the saints. Now, what makes a saint imperfect? What makes any person imperfect? Sin, of course. So, a true prophet will point out sin. They will deal with the sin problem. They won't say everybody's holy or everybody's not holy or or whatever. They will say, they won't be uh, fanatical about things, in other words, or imbalanced. They'll, they will point out the sin problem. That will be one of the main issues of their ministry. And that's true with Elijah. That's true with you. You just go down the line with Moses, with all the great, pro- with John the Baptist, the greatest of the prophets, that's what he talked about, being uh, repentant and, and trusting in God and asking for his forgiveness. And being truly repentant, not, not a feeling-based thing, but a, a true giving of yourself over to the Lord. Now, a, pro- a true prophet will also have the work of the ministry. In other words, they will have an evangelism focus. Okay, They won't be someone who tries to make a cult and then move them out somewhere and then have nothing to do with the rest of the world. They'll be, they'll have a hunger for souls, and they'll be trying to evangelize people. Now, for the edification of the uh, the church, so it'll strengthen and protect the church overall, or God's people. It'll edify them. It'll be something they can go to later on, look at, and be strengthened by. That is the work of a prophet. And not the way Sean Foyt was talking about where they just say, we're just going to go out and prophesy over California. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. You don't just go prophesy wherever you want. And you, you don't start playing rock music or worship music and expect the Holy Spirit to come down and and work some sort of miracle in spite of the music that you're playing. It doesn't work like that. We don't tell God what he's going to do. We obey him. That's how it's supposed to work. Now, number four, it will uh, a prophet will teach and comfort. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. It says, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. So exhort and comfort. So, Back to Ellen White. Remember, as I said earlier, the Bible said, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not just their words, but their fruits. So I want to start off that she died in 1915. This is from the New York Independent, August 23rd, 1915. This is a secular source, non-Seventh-day Adventist source, that wrote this article it says this these teachings talking about the Seventh-day Adventist teachings are based on the strictest doctrine of inspiration of scripture Seventh-day Adventism could not have gotten out in any other way and the gift of prophecy was to be expected as promised to the remnant church who held fast to the truth this faith gave great purity in life and incessant zeal. No body of Christians excels them in moral character and religious earnestness. I don't think that's true today, folks. But apparently, this was an understanding from a secular observer, probably a Christian because that was what was by and large common then, uh, but a secular newspaper nonetheless. But it says that at that time... No body of Christians excels them in moral character and religious earnestness. Here is a notable record, and she deserves great honor, talking about the eulogy after Mrs. White's death. She showed no spiritual pride, and she sought no filthy lucre. She lived the life and did the work of a worthy prophetess, the most admirable of the American succession. So there you have it. From another from her eulogy, this is from the editorial of Detroit uh, News Tribune, July 25th, 1915. It says, Mrs. White was a remarkable woman in many ways. She was deeply religious and none who knew her intimately had any doubt as to her sincerity. So, according to this other secular source, Mrs. White was... A true Christian now if she's a if she claimed to be a prophet and she was a true Christian there's a big problem there if she's a false prophet because you can't really have it both ways if people who knew her intimately had absolutely no doubt in their mind now we could say that they were uh, blinded but what can you say about this secular source here you can't say the same thing so we have an issue. Either she's a false prophet, uh, being led by Satan, or because she's because she's claiming the gift of prophecy, she can't she can't just be uh, somebody who is who is confused, because she's claiming to have visions. She's claiming to teach. She's teaching people things. She's saying, "I saw this. I did this." So she can't. You can't have it somewhere in the gray. Either she's a true prophet or she's a complete false prophet. According to these two secular editorials so far, it appears that she's the latter, true prophet. Now, another one, Thomas M. Elliott, editor of the Atlanta Constitution, wrote a key editorial in his paper on October 9th, 1950. It says, among the many... Hundreds of books I have studied on the subject of religion that inspire heart-warmth and enriched faith. None have been of greater help than Ellen G. White's two books, Patriarchs and Prophets and Prophets and Kings. Those books were written, not for literary fame or financial reward, but to help heart-hungry humanity learn of God. They make God's dealings with man clear to the most simple-minded reader without bias or sectarianism. I commend these books to all seekers after a clearer knowledge of the righteousness of God. Wow. Pretty powerful stuff there. I want to read you another quote here. This is from a book by Vance Farrell called Prophet of the End, page 84, where they talk about some of the fruits that we can see from Ellen White's life. This is talking about somebody... Um, who was converted by her books, and in fact many people were converted by her books, in fact, as far as writers and authors go, she's the most published, I believe the second most or third most published American author in the world. Um, I believe only Benjamin Franklin and maybe Henry David Doro are above her. Perhaps uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson as well, I'm not sure. But she's up there. She's she's definitely top five, and you never hear anything about her in mainstream media. Never hear anything about her in the mainstream anywhere. Why? Well, if you think about it biblically, it would make perfect sense why. If, if Satan is the god of this world, then it would make sense, if he's the prince of the power of the air, it would make sense that a, one of God's true prophets would be mocked um, hidden away from the from the people's eyes so that they wouldn't go and look into her writings. That's why that she would be not not spoken of. Now that's not an end-all be-all proof of anything. but it is an interesting note. People know who Joseph Smith is, you know, but Ellen White? no, not so much. Not so much in the mainstream. I remember I was in, I was in that world. Didn't hear the, about them. Heard about Joseph Smith. Heard about Mary Baker Eddy. Did not hear about Ellen White. But anyways, this is from page 84 of Prophet of the End, Vance Farrell. It says, The above two books, Patriarchs and Prophets and Prophets and Kings, provide a detailed description of the Old Testament story. They have encouraged many folk. The present writer recalls the story of an older man who, when asked the name of his favorite book by Ellen White, said, I value them all, but... And then his voice faltered. It is patriarchs and prophets that I appreciate the most, for that is the book that brought me back to God. So, she wrote, she wrote books, and she wrote many books, many different writings, editorials, and everything else. And people make compilations of her books. And those books, when you read them, people who have read them, who are in the world, who are lost, found God again and found salvation. Now that's huge. Because if somebody's a false prophet, again, this is not something they do. They they usually inspire their their followers with a fanaticism. If you ever talk to uh, Mormons about Joseph Smith, you'll see their faces light up like, oh, Joseph Smith, he was the greatest thing ever. Because they they idolize him. It's idolatry. Now, you don't really see that with true uh, believers in the Seventh-day Adventist doctrine and understanding of the prophethood of Ellen White. You don't see that same fanatical, emotional, sort of really idolatrous um, attitude. You don't really see that. But as we continue, we have some more tests to go through, and there's also the physical tests. So we'll get to wow, I didn't realize how much information there really is on this. We will get to that next week, though. So we'll have basically a part three of this because I don't, I really don't want to go too far over the thirty-minute mark here. But there is, uh, there's still a bit, quite a bit of information. But that's just a little something for you to. Um, to chew on, and to understand, if nothing else, if it doesn't convince you um, yet of her, her prophethood, at least you can understand where I'm coming from and why I quote her so often. So I look forward to talking with you guys again next week. Take care. God bless. And um, we will be in touch.